What a great way to start our morning together. We are in the thick of Christmas, only six more days until Christmas, which means our annual Eve Eve services are almost here. Thursday, December 23rd, we will be celebrating Christ's birth here at our main campus or online. We will have two service options at 5.30 p.m. or 7.30 p.m. with children's programming at either service. Our teams have been working hard to create an intentional service that is a great way to bring to a close our intentional Christmas series here at Life. Mark your calendars and be thinking of who you can invite to join you. Lastly, we want to remind you that we will not be having service on Sunday, December 26th. Over the last several years, we have chosen not to meet on the Sunday after Christmas to allow our staff and volunteers time to rest with their loved ones. This also allows each and every one of you to visit another church body or have your own church service at home. Then we will join back together on Sunday, January 2nd at our regular service times. If you have any questions about anything you've heard today, please don't hesitate to talk to a campus pastor, staff member, or someone at our Connect Center. Here's Pastor Mike with week three of Intentional Christmas. All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So real quick before we jump into the last part of our Intentional Christmas series, we want to go over our budget. So let's uh, look at last month's giving, so what we were uh, over in the general fund, and then also giving for the year, celebrating obviously seven new givers uh, being a part of the uh, vision and ministry here at Life Church, And then also what goes with that is we've been talking about our building fund all year long. We prayed and trusted that we could raise this money and that we wouldn't have to go to the bank. And through generosity of people here at Life Church, we made it all away. So thank you. So thank you to everyone who has prayed with us and been a part of the contribution process. Because again, you know, the vision here at Life Church is always we want this building to be open for the community for as long as that we're here and that we can keep giving back. And so you guys continue to make that possible. So we're thankful uh, for what you guys are doing in that way. All right, so we are in the last part of Intentional Christmas. And so if you haven't been with us, just let me give you a quick update. Why are we doing Intentional Christmas? We did this uh, quite a while back. Uh, I don't know how many years ago back. And we did it because I have a love-hate relationship with Christmas. And so that love-hate relationship is obviously I love Jesus, but I'm not sure the rest of Christmas, right? Like all the get-togethers and all the things you do and try to get presents bought and all of it. And then you get so busy, it seemed like to me, that in the busyness of getting ready for Christmas, we kind of forget why you're doing Christmas, right? Like we get together and we do all those things, but we forgot why we would do it. And so intentional Christmas was to say, how could we as a church help through this time to allow people to slow down for a second and make sure that we don't get to the end of Christmas and look back and say, wow, we missed what God wanted us to do. So we started with week one saying we need to be intentional when it comes to valuing other people. Right, So we, as Christian people, at times, especially over Christmas, get really busy, and naturally, whether you want to hear this or not, it's true, naturally, we're selfish people. Right? So naturally, if we don't get outside of ourselves, we will focus on what we need, and we'll forget about the needs of other people. So week one was to say, as Christian people, we need to value other people. And it's more than just words, right? So it's actions of your life show that you value other people. And so we encouraged you to do a couple things uh, to be intentional with that. So we gave you some prompts over, you know, 20-some days. We said, wake up every day, look at this calendar, and think about somebody else, 
right? And you could go out and you could either do something that was on the calendar or you could add to it and do something on your own, but it was a reminder every day, I'm here on this earth to add value to other people. How, I'm going to do, how am I going to do that? And we all know that the only way that we do that is if we're intentional with our time, right? Because time's the only thing that will prove that we're intentional, that we want to value other people. So we said, take an inventory, put it in your schedule, show that you value people. The second week, we said, one of the other things that's interesting during the Christmas season is uh, money usually comes up, right? Like, you're spending too much, you didn't spend enough, or you don't really care, and you don't look until you get to the end, you know, and then in January, you make the decision of whether you spent too much or not enough or whatever that is. But money usually comes up inside of that. And the interesting part about talking about money was this, is that Scripture tells us that money unveils, like how we handle our money and possession unveils the condition of our heart, you know, and so if we're going to be intentional, then we need to be intentional with our money because how we handle our money unveils, again, the condition of our heart and soul, and better to figure out where you are now than it is to wait till it's too late, right? So last week, we said we're going to help you with that. The way we're going to help you is we're going to give away $20,000, and by the way, in case I forget this at the end because I forgot it in the first service, we have some envelopes left, so when you come up for what we're going to have here at the end, there are some envelopes left. So if you've given yours away and you want another one, grab another one. We'd love for you to be able to give it away. But we just said, to be intentional, here's an opportunity. We're going to give away $20,000. We want you to pray about it. First, who you're going to give it to, and second, what does God want you to add to it, if anything, and then go and give it out because it was important for us as a church and as an organization to say, Jesus is not the organization of Life Church, but you are, right? So you going out giving away money is to remind people the church should never be Jesus, but you can be. And so I've heard incredible stories of people who've been going out and giving it away and the response that they've had. And so I hope that uh, you participated in that. And if you didn't get a chance to get an envelope, we want to give it to you so you can. Because one of the exciting things, and I never even thought about this when we decided to give the money away, but this idea of multiplication... So we just prayed and said, we're going to give away $20,000, but somebody after first service last week came up to me and said, you know what, it's cool about this, that 20 real easily by the end of the day could be 40, and by the end of the week could be 60, and who knows, by the end of the month could it be $80,000 that goes back into the community and what God's going to do. And so this whole idea of multiplication, like because you choose to be generous with your money and add to it the multiplication factor of what God's doing in the community that you live in or wherever you gave it back is incredible. And so we'll pray that that effect continues on with people. And so we're going to end Intentional Christmas with... Uh, learning or understanding how we can be intentional with our purpose, okay? So here's what we know about our purpose on this earth. Something we say all the time, but we need to be reminded. You and I have breath on this earth because you still have purpose. The purpose for every Christian person that's on this earth is all the same. We're left here because we can have impact on the lives of other people, right? Impact specifically on people's eternity. Because here's what we're going to learn today. There are people that if today was the end of their life, and they could be people that you actually love dearly, that if their life ended today, they will spend eternity in a Christless eternity called hell. Right? Like there are people today that are in that spot, 
And when we know that and we look at this, the question always becomes, what's God going to do about it, right? What's God going to do about it? Well, we have to put it back on and say, you know, he's already told us what he's going to do about it. He's going to use you. Your plan A. There is no plan B. If the gospel is going to move forward in this world, in your community, in your family, you're responsible for it, nobody else, right? You are the one that God wants to use to change the eternity of mankind, and we just need to remember this. And so why, you have, why you're on this earth, you're going to get competing things that are going to come into your life that are going to try to steal you away from what your ultimate purpose is, but your ultimate purpose on this earth is to bring the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the best gift that's ever been given to people who don't have it. That's why you're here. And when he's done with you, he's done with you. But while we're here, we have to be able to do that. And again, if you looked at the, the or watched or, you know, engaged in the children's ministry, you know, um, what they just did up here, that could be just a message in itself, right? Like they just said, like the greatest gift that's ever given, Jesus, right? And so interesting how so many people that we saw on the screen are like real life stories, right? I'm too busy. I can't, you know, I don't deserve it. Something else is going on. I don't know about it. I don't really believe it. You know, real circumstances in life. But at the end of the day, knowing this, like this gift is the greatest gift that we could ever give because I've been thinking about this a lot. I told you guys that this is my first year buying, like, Christmas presents, you know, for my children. And so I'm out, thank the Lord, it's done. I got done yesterday, and I'm like, oh, there's a weight lifted off of me. And I even got them kind of wrapped, you know. <laughs> that, but they're in something they can't see them. So whatever that's like, whatever you want to call that. But in all of this is, you know, this is what's going to happen today because our Christmas is today, you know, and so we're going to get together and our family's going to get together and there's going to be a lot of things that, that are going to be going on, the emotions of Sherry not being there. But at the end of the day, this is what I thought about for the past two weeks in the midst of this is like, you know, I'm trying to figure out my kids' gifts and I don't know if they're going to like them or not like them. But at the end of the day, the greatest gift that I could ever give my, give my children or have given my children is Jesus, Right? And the greatest gift that I could ever give my children is to help them understand that the greatest gift they could ever give to somebody is Jesus, right? And that if we walk away from anything that's going to be purposeful at the end of Christmas is to say, wow, this gift has meant something to me. And so because it meant something to me, I'm going to go tell somebody else about it. Because you know when you get gifts, it's not that hard to tell other people about them if you like them, right? Like, think about this Christmas season. I thought about this. Like, if you think back when you were a kid, like, go back. Well, some of you still are kids, but I'm not. So if you think back when you were a kid, like, do you remember that gift that you got? Like, there's that one that just sticks out more than any other gift you got. So when we were kids, this is how it worked at our house. So we did the whole, like, Christmas Eve was presents from mom and dad. So you'd sit down and you'd open all your presents from mom and dad and then you'd go to the crazy candlelight service at midnight. I still don't know why they do that, but trying to take kids to a midnight candlelight service is crazy. But anyway, so we would do that. And then the next morning, presents from mom and dad, but the next morning was presents from Santa Claus. 
right? And so there's always this anticipation. You go out and you leave. Like Santa, when he came to our house, was sick of cookies and milk, so he's got Pepsi and and, uh, cookies, right? So Santa liked Pepsi at our house, and so we used to leave out Pepsi and cookies. And then we would be so excited, and we'd come running downstairs, and, you know, Santa made it down the chimney, and he left all these gifts, and we're so excited to open them up. And I'll never forget this. We're down there. We're opening them all up, and we get done, and... Uh, mom and dad look at us and they say, well, you know, when we got up this morning, we think Santa left something in the garage. And, you know, as a kid, you're thinking, what's Santa doing in the garage? Did he, he's supposed to come down the chimney. Like, how'd he ever end up in the garage? You know, but we, we ran out there and I'll never forget this. You open up the door and here's this 90 Honda three-wheeler. And we're sitting there all thinking like, like this thing's the greatest thing ever. Now I look back on it, the thing was a complete piece of junk. Like the fenders were broke and they had these big like weird tires on it. But to me at the time, it was the best gift ever and I can still remember that gift. And I can also remember this and you might be the same way as you get done with Christmas and then everybody asks me, tell you about your Christmas, what gifts did you get? What do you usually talk about? The best gift ever. Like, we got this Honda three-wheeler. Now, we added to the cracks in the fenders later on in the day, but it was still, you know, the greatest gift we ever gave. And you have no trouble expressing about a gift that you loved, right? Yeah, no issue at all. So the question always becomes this. Why then the greatest gift that you've ever been given in your life? Why can't we express that to other people? You know, because it's the problem with the gospel right now. But the problem is, is that too many times we have looked at this as a gift, but when it comes to sharing it with other people, I don't know, how good are we really doing? Right? How good are we saying, like, let me tell you about the best gift that I've ever been given. It's this, and it, it's revolutionized my life, and this is what's changed for me, and this is what I do with it. You see, I think what's happened, and it could be a couple different ways. I don't know your story, but I'm just going to use some generalizations. Part of the reason I think it's hard to share the story or the gift is because we've forgotten what you've been rescued from. See, the gift is a rescue, Right? So the gift is this, you deserved something that you were rescued from, right? That's that's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, you deserved this, but the free gift of salvation rescued you from what you deserved and ushered you into something that you did not deserve, and it's an incredible gift, right? But you know what I think happens, and this could happen either in the short term or the long term for you. You forgot what you were rescued from. Like I hear this a lot from people. They'll be like, well, I grew up in the church or, you know, I gave my life to Christ 20 years ago. And it's just really, like, it's hard to relate. Like, you know, I look at other people who have had the story. You know what I mean? Like, I was addicted to or I had, and then there was this conversion, and then all of a sudden God did. And honestly, I think this is what we say, but it's really not true. You know, wow, I mean, that story is, that story, like they were rescued. And I'm like, just so we're on the same page, let's, let's make sure we, we look at this the right way. Regardless of the story of your life, you were rescued from the same thing. You see, the crazy thing is, is you, if you look at the lives, and, and you could attest to this if this was you, These people just experienced hell on earth before they found Jesus. 
You who grew up in the church just didn't see it, but it's the same thing, right? You were rescued from the same exact thing, and we, regardless of what your story was, should celebrate the best gift that I've ever been given as I was rescued, right? And I was given something that I didn't deserve, and so my story, this gift, I'm going to share it with other people. You know why? Because those people need rescue, and they don't get it by us just talking about it on Sunday mornings. They don't get it just because we sing songs about it. They don't get it because we sit around in Bible studies and learn more about Scripture. Right? The gospel's not preached in the circle of Christians who are just learning more about what the Bible says, but if there's no action of taking, like, I'm reading this and I'm looking at it, and it, yeah, I mean, I'm so thankful for my rescue, I'm going to go out and rescue somebody else, because that's what reading the Bible should do for you. That's what coming to church should do for you. Like, coming to church is just to spur you on to be part of the rescue of people, right? Like, that's what it should do for each one of us. It should not be what it has become, and sometimes it has become this place where we just come and we feel good about ourselves and we're excited about what we're learning and we're becoming better people, but there is no rescuing of anybody else, okay? So here's what we're going to do today. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 9. So in Acts 9, we're going to look at this idea of how do we, as Christian people, get to the place where we can understand or remember where we came from, how can we live on purpose, and what can we learn from this story that will allow us to be able to uh, value or think about the eternity of other people. So a little bit of a history as you're turning there. So Acts 9, remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the Gospels. The Gospels are for us to see the account of Jesus' life, his preparation of his disciples, the Great Commission when he left. And when he left, he gave this Great Commission. Acts of the Apostles are to say you heard the Great Commission and this is what the people did with it. Okay, so if you ever want, like I need some real life stories of what do people do when Jesus says go out and to all the nations and reach people, look at Acts. This is what they did. Right? So that's what he tells us to do. Great commission, do something about it. Acts of the Apostles, they're out doing something about it. This is how it started. So in the beginning, it was Jewish people reaching Jewish people. Right? Are we tracking? So it's on like it's in Jerusalem, Jewish people reaching Jewish people, and all of a sudden Jews were being converted, which was a bad thing, right? Because the Jewish people are like, that's not the true Messiah, it's false. So all of a sudden, they're like, we need to stop the movement. And so in Acts, you see how they did little things to try to stop the movement? Well, then all of a sudden comes in one of the top Jewish people at the time, which was a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus says, okay, well, you guys have tried to imprison, you guys have tried to do, but you're not getting it done, let me take care of it for you. And here's how he did. So you know how like, in the beginning, they tried to be like, we'll arrest Peter, or we'll arrest John, and we'll put him into jail, and we'll tell him to shut up, and then they didn't shut up, and the gospel keeps going. We said, Saul of Tarsus says, well, we need to be a little bit rougher. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go, and we're going to start putting your family in jail. You know, so it's one thing for Mike to say, well, it's, I'm preaching the gospel, and if they put me in jail, no big deal. But what happens when they put Mike's kids in jail? 
Right? What happens when it comes to your family? Are you still going to be as strong? Like it's one thing to have persecution in yourself, but what's going to happen if your family is persecuted? So Paul starts persecuting the church, arresting families, putting kids in jail, splitting families apart. And the, the Jerusalem church all of a sudden had to make a decision. What do we do with all of this persecution? Well, if you study history, here's one of the things you know. Christianity always grows in the midst of persecution. All right, so persecution was happening in Jerusalem, and this is why it grew, because the people in Jerusalem were like, we want to escape persecution, but we're going to escape on purpose. So we're going to go to another city, but we're not going to another city to hide. You know why we're going to another city? To preach the gospel, right? So we're going to leave this city to get outside of persecution, but we're going to continue to live on purpose, because you know what they knew about their life? It could end tomorrow. Their purpose on this earth was to share the best gift that they had ever been given. And so the natural thing for a person who's been given a gift like salvation is when you go into a new city, what do you tell people about? The gift, right? So you go into the new city. So thousands of people are getting saved in Jerusalem. And then it spreads out because of persecution. And then it goes into these places and a person named Ananias gets saved in Damascus, right? So that's a neighboring city. Ananias gets saved in Damascus and he starts you know, starting a movement there. More people are getting saved. So Saul of Tarsus decides, well, I got my mob raised up here in Jerusalem to go ahead and persecute the Christians that are here. I need to go to the next place where the Christianity has broken out. And so where do you think that next place was? Damascus, right? So he goes on to the next biggest growth of of Christianity, which is Damascus, where Ananias is. And on that way, you're going to see this transformation start to happen. And we're going to see how God works in the lives of Ananias and how we can learn from the story of Ananias on being obedient. And we can see what it looks like to value the eternity of other people, even in the midst of when it doesn't make sense. So here's, how, here's what he says. This is Acts 9, starting in verse 10. It said, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. So here's one thing that I want you to see. So do you remember when we did the Dream Again series? If you don't remember it, I'll give you a, a precursor. The Dream Again series was to say, when Jesus left, he said, the Holy Spirit will come. And when the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you're going to do something. That something was you're going to dream dreams, you're going to see visions, and you're going to prophesy, right? That's what he said. So those three things are going to happen, not just select people, right? It's not select people. He says to every person who receives the Holy Spirit, you're going to dream dreams, see vision, and you're going to prophesy. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he lives inside of people. So in this, what I want you to see, because a lot of people were struggling, like, why don't I see dreams, why don't I see visions? Why aren't words given to me? Well, one of the things that we talked about is, is that, remember this, so Ananias is in Damascus, and, and the people in Damascus need Jesus, right? So we know Ananias is on mission, right? And how do we know that Ananias is on mission? Because when the Lord called on Ananias, how did he respond? Yes, Lord, what do you need? And so here's what I want us to see. In your community, in your school, in your college, in whoever circle of influence you're in, there's not a lack of people that need reach for Jesus Christ. There'll never be a lack of that, right? Wherever your circle is, there's not going to be a lack of that. The question is, how do we reach him? 
And what do we do? And how do we go about it? And what's our next step? Because we never really know, right? Like you don't know. What am I supposed to do with that person? What am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to start a ministry? Not supposed to start a ministry? Am I supposed to invite them to church or take them food? Like you don't know. But here's the point. When you care about somebody's eternity, you're at least open to hear from the Lord. Right? Like you're open. If you care about somebody's eternity, you're open to say, God, I don't know how to reach him, but will you speak to me? And so we can just put it in our own terminology because sometimes when I say vision, dreams, and prophecy, we're like, I don't know, vision, dreams. How about that nudge? Does that make more sense? How about the nudge? Right? So he speaks to you through the nudge, like call somebody, send somebody a letter, do something. Does that make more sense? So he says, if the people around you are lost, I'm going to give you a nudge. This is what I want you to do. I want you to call them. I want you to talk to him. I want you to pray for him. I want you to do. Right? And the reason is, is because he says, if you care about lost people, I'm going to give you the next step. So we know Ananias open to say, God, what do you want me to do? And the Lord speaks to him and he says, yes. So we have to understand, you know, this is a, a preparation period and caring about lost people, but, it, but he was prepared for that. Here's the other part of it that's important for us to understand. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man uh, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, here's another really important thing to, to recognize. So here's Ananias and God is speaking to him, right? Ananias right now does not know Saul of Tarsus at all, Right? Doesn't know Saul of Tarsus at all. Doesn't know what's going on at all. But he's come to him. So Jesus came to him and said, Ananias, are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. So here's something that I want you to get. Anytime you answer, when God speaks to you and he says, you know what? And you say yes, just so you know, God's already working in front of you. Do you see that? Like God's already working on the front end of this. Paul is having, you know, his Damascus Road experience while you're getting ready over here. Like he's preparing you, but God's working before you. Because sometimes I think people are like, I don't know. And how will they react? I don't, does it matter? If he nudges you, know that he's in front of you. Right? Know that he's already went before you. And I just want to tell you this. Listen. Because people are like, you know, I want to be in the center of where God is and I want to be what he's doing. Then you need to move forward where he is instead of sitting down where he's not. Because too many times we sit in our seat and say, God, move. And he's saying, yeah, I know, move. Get up, do something, take a step, move forward. I'm up here, not here. I'm in front of you working and I need you to take a step and I need you to get out of your seat because I'm up here working so you need to take some steps and meet me. And for all of us, we need to remember that. Listen, if you want to be where God is and you want to see him work, then get out of your chair and start moving forward because he's in front of you, not behind you or where you're at today. Right? And you're going to see God do some amazing things. And so this helped us understand that God's people, this is what we know, if God moves you, somebody else is having a Damascus Road experience and needs you. Somebody's on the road blind right now that needs your help. The question is whether you're going to respond. God has had a Damascus Road, because I think all of us could probably attest to this. Have you ever had those moments in your life on being on either end where God nudged you and you called somebody like, I can't believe you just called. I was just, you know what I mean, play the story out. 
And the story is he nudged you and he was working and he's put it together and he's saying, see, I'm still alive and I'm working. Or you've been on the other end of it. Anybody ever have those Damascus Road experience and you're on your knees and you can't believe you just got that phone call? Because when you're on your knees like that, you kind of think everybody else has forgotten. You know, you don't think there's anybody else around you and then somebody calls up and says, hey, I was thinking of you, right? And I've thought of you. And you're all of a sudden, you're like, oh. God's still with me, even though I'm on the road blind right now and I don't know what to do and I don't know where it's at. Like, I know that God's working. Like, that's the things that he's trying to get through to each one of us. Then he goes on and says this. Verse 13, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here without authority from the chief priests to arrest all who have come in your name. Now, I'll tell you a little bit of story, and bear with me through the story, because it's all going to tie together. But I want to tell you a little bit of story of how I think this will tie into the idea of how we need to rescue people. So, we have this dog named Sam. So he's this little shih tzu, and <laughs> I've had these moments, like in the past few months, like a couple months ago, I'm like, this dog's half blind you know, can't, like, get around anymore, hacks all the time. I think I'm just going to shoot him, you know. I'm going to just put him out of his misery. And then I'm like, I can't shoot him. See, I have a heart, like, okay, I'm not going to shoot him. He's still alive. Isaac would be mad at me, you know. So, like, I need to put the dog out of his misery. Anyway, so we're going through this whole thing. So it's, you know, the couple weeks ago when it got pretty cold and the pond got frozen. So when it's cold out, the dog will tend to, because, before, the dog ends up wandering out into our calf pens all the time and eating manure and then coming back in, and you can't ever find the stupid dog. So if you lose him, just go out to the calf pen. He's eating compost or manure. Well, when he's cold out, he tends to come back in. So before, we always watch him be like, you let him out. I'm like, Sam, Sam, make sure he comes back. I just let him out. That sucker's going to come back. Well, I work in getting ready for work because I came in from working in the barn. Let the dog out. Look out there, don't see him. Uh, he'll be back in a second. Do some things in the kitchen, and I'm like, this sucker ain't coming back. And you know what? I don't really care. <laughs> he can sit out there and eat all the crap he wants. Isaac's still out in the barn. He might find him on the way in. He might not, whatever. So I go up to get ready for work, and our window overlooks the pond. And so I'm up there, take off my work clothes, go look out the window thinking, well, maybe I'll see him. And I'm like, there's that little sucker walking on the pond. And I'm like, it's just going to be my luck because the pond's completely frozen. And then in the middle of the pond, you know how the ice is a little bit thinner? I'm like, that little sucker is going to end up right in the middle of the pond and he's going to break through. And I'm like, ah, no, it ain't going to happen. So he's like in his little sweater prancing around out there <laughs> right in the middle of the pond, right in the water. So just to give you my first thought, first thought I'm like, Oh, good, I don't have to shoot him now. <laughs> I'm like, the little sucker will just drown. He had a sweater on. I mean, like, you can't stay afloat very long. Like, this thing's just going to drown. So I don't have to worry about it. I'll just tell Isaac I don't know where Sam went. So, you know. So <laughs> this is what my daughter was doing when I told it the first service, saying, oh, Dad, you can't say these things. Listen, it has a good ending. Just bear with me. So here's what I think. Okay, so I'm like, 
I'm just going to turn my back because I, I don't want to watch him drown, so I'm just not going to watch. So I turn my back, and I'm like, I'm going to give him like a minute, so I'm going to get ready. And if I turn back around and he's still alive, you know, then maybe I'm going to do something about it. So I turn my back, I get ready, I look out there, and I'm like, he's out there. <laughs> Trying to keep his head above water, and I'm like, maybe another minute. So I'm like, <laughs> I go back out there, head up on the ice, I'm like, oh my God. Gosh. So I take off my clothes, put on my shorts, go out to the pond, thinking, okay, but by the time I get to the pond, if he's under, he's under, there's nothing I can do about it. Get to the edge of the pond, nope. This sucker can't die. He's just out there paddling around. So I'm thinking, well, if I get out on the ice, I'll walk out on the ice and get there and I'll just reach out and get him. I won't have to get in the pond because surely this is thick enough to hold me. I walk out there about 10 steps, right through the ice. Oh, I know. So I'm out there busting through the ice to go rescue this little shih tzu that I wanted to die a couple months ago. So I get out there, grab that little sucker by his little sweater, you know, swim back, get to the edge, go in the house, rip off a sweater, dry him off with a towel, text Isaac, you better check on Sam, I got to go to work. Now, why would I tell you this story? Because okay, it's all going to make sense. Here's why I tell you this story. Ananias was really in the same place, the same dilemma, right? Here was his dilemma. Is Saul of Tarsus really worth saving? Right? Is Saul of Tarsus really worth saving? He's a persecutor. He's somebody that's, you know, hurt my family. He's somebody that's caused great pain in my life. So I could just as easy, and Ananias is like all of us, I could just easy just turn my back and let him drown. Because you realize that's what's happening in the Christian world today. Yeah, you realize is what happened in the Christian world is there's plenty of people drowning. We've just turned our back on them. We've just said, don't let me see it. Don't let me see it. Don't let me hear it. Out of sight, out of mind. As long as I don't see it, I don't have to do anything about it. True? Because if you're watching it, you got to do something about it. So we as Christian people have just chose, you know what? Those people aren't worth saving. So we're just going to make our church you know, a bunch of people that are already saved and we're just going to make these circles and we don't want to see any of the unsaved people. We don't want to see any of the people that are drowned and we're going to turn our backs. We're not going to go into the community where they're hurting because when we go in there, then you have to do something about it. So we just create these atmospheres in the church and you might create these atmospheres inside of your own life where you just look away from drowning people. Because you know what? You might break through the ice. And you know what? You might, have to, you might have to suffer a little bit in the midst of going out to reach it, to, to, to do that in the lives of people. And you know how many people have just decided the cost isn't worth it because that person or that person's not worth saving. And in this moment, Ananias has to make the same decision. Is, because you know what? Christians get this decision. You get a decision whether you want to be in the game and live on purpose or not. People are making this decision all of the time. Am I going to be in the game or am I going to be comfortable? Am I going to be in the game or am I going to be comfortable? Because you realize when you're in the game, it's not comfortable. You're breaking the ice. You're swimming through. You're doing, like, that's the way it is when you're in the game. When you're in the game, you are uncomfortable. But Christians all the time make decisions. Comfortable, comfort over purpose, right? I'm going to use comfort over purpose. And so Ananias had a choice. And Ananias, again, something shifted inside of him that allowed him to make this choice that I'm going to do something about it. Here's what shifted inside of him. 
He says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go to this man, uh, my chosen instrument, to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. So if you're reading this or you see it up on the screen, this is what shifted. He said, brother Saul. He was no longer just a man who was drowning or a man who was in trouble. He was like, you're my brother and I will save you. Why? Because you're a brother and sister in Christ. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what's happened in your life. I'm swimming to the middle. I'm doing whatever it takes because I no longer see you as just a person, but I see you as a brother and sister in Christ, and I'm going to do something about it, and I'm not going to let you drown. Right? That's the mind shift from Christian people that has to change. These aren't just random people. These aren't just random people. These are your brothers and sisters. Are you going to let your family drown or are you going to do something about it? Like that's the call, right? That's that's what he's asking each one of us to do. And Ananias could make a decision. I'm going to do it because something shifted in my heart from Saul the persecutor to Saul the brother. And for some of us, your mindset needs to shift as him as the addict, or him as the alcoholic, or him as the adulterer, or her as the, you know what I mean? Because that's not how God labels them. God says they are brothers and sisters in Christ that are drowning, and the question is, what will you do, right? And so it goes on and says, this is how he responds, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he was sent so that they may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here's what I want you to see. The landscape of Christianity, right? I want you to hear this. The landscape of Christianity changed because of the life of Paul. You realize that, right? Paul changed the landscape of Christianity because before it was all the Jews getting saved. Now who's getting saved? Gentiles. Us. You're here today because Paul started something, a movement of Christianity amongst the Gentiles that then spread. And it started with thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people because Paul's missionary journeys into the Gentile world and then the Gentile world spread it over and over and over again. But remember this. Paul would not have done that without Ananias. Like you want to talk about Paul? There is no Paul without Ananias. Ananias made a decision. You know what's so cool about Ananias' decision? Ananias had no idea what Paul was going to go on and do. In fact, he had no idea that Paul's heart would even be changed, right? He had no idea. But he made a decision to show up and pray over Paul. Why? Because God asked him to. He didn't know what the heart change would be. He didn't know what was going to happen in in Paul's life. He didn't see the history and say, well, if I go over and see Paul, like everything's going to be changed. He just made a decision that he was going to do something about it. In fact, I think about this in my own life. You know, when I talk about how individual people make a difference in your life. So I think about my own life. Right, And so 
I grew up in a church, right, and I was a part of the church for a really long time, but at the end of the day, you know, I didn't really have anything to do with it until my mom, like, and I, and I still, to this day, like, think about this. So my mom made a decision. You know, I'm 23 years old. You know, you don't really need your mom. You know, pretty proud guy and, you know, living on my own, you know, married, but living without your parents, you don't really need their advice anymore. And my mom showed up at my house one day. I mean, randomly. And I met her out on the sidewalk as I was getting ready to go somewhere. And she looked me right in the eye. And I, Ken, this is going to seem awkward to you, but I want you to hear this. She's like, listen, here's what I felt like I needed to ask you today. If today was your last day, where would you spend eternity? And you know, as a 23-year-old, you don't think about those things. Like, you don't think about dying when you're 23. Like, there's a whole lot of other things to think about other than that. And so for the first time in my life, I processed my mortality. For the first time in my life, I processed, I don't know, if it wasn't over, I don't know what I would do, and I don't know where I would be. And that night, I went into my room, and I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ that night. And that same night, Jesus Christ said, I want you in full-time ministry that exact night. Because my mom made a choice to have a hard conversation with a bullheaded son. Right? Think about this, moms. Is that the conversation you always want to have? Because you know why she asked me, because she already knew the answer. You know how moms have that gift. Right? She asked me because she already knew the answer. And if I think about my life today, I'm here today being able to do this because my mom made a hard decision to have a hard conversation. And you see, for all of us, is that you? You know what I mean? For all of us, what conversation? Because he's already working. See, God was already working in my heart, and I didn't even know anything about it. I didn't know what was going on, but because she had that conversation and something was going on inside of me, they all came together at the right time. So the worship team's going to come back up. I want to give you some practical things to think about. So how do you get to the place where you can live on purpose? So what's it going to look like in your own life that you can start evaluating this idea that I need to care about other people's eternity? And here's what I want you to start with, because I said this in the beginning, but I think sometimes we lose this. I want you to take an opportunity this week or maybe even today to evaluate your life through the lens of scripture instead of the lens of culture. Because you know one of the things that, that uh, helps me in this process of caring about other drowning people is because when I look at my life through the lens of scripture, my life and what I deserved then and what I deserve today is no different than that person. Even to this day, what I deserve Is it eternity in hell? But I didn't get it because of a gift of Jesus Christ. And so I evaluate my life and I remember, you know what? I was rescued. Thank you for the rescue. Thank you for the rescue. And that's what scripture does. When you evaluate your life through the lens of scripture, you know, in Christianity, sometimes we just get way too proud. Because you've been in Bible study. Now you know the Bible and you've been reading the Bible and you can say some pretty eloquent prayers and you're not near the bad person that you used to be. No, listen, you're the same bad person. You're just saved. You were rescued. You were given a gift, right? But you're the same. 
Don't forget these other people. Don't forget the other people that are out there treading water. They need you. Somebody helped you. My mom made a decision while I was drowning, because that's what she saw. I didn't see it, but she saw it. She made a decision to at least start a conversation because she knew that I need rescue. And when you evaluate your life that way and you remember your gift and you remember what you were rescued from, you're not going to have any trouble going out and say, let me tell you about my rescue. Let me tell you about my, let me tell you about my continued rescue. I say this all the time. Every time I evaluate my life through the lens of scripture, I'm like, I have no idea why he uses me. I have zero idea. I would never use me. Never. I would never use me to do this. I just keep thinking and thinking, I'm so glad that you will use a person like me, a sinful man who doesn't have it right, but he's going to use me in the lives of other people. And I'm just going to be open and honest. This is just who I am. But I'll tell you one thing. This is who I am, but you can use me. I don't know what the outcome of anybody's life is going to be, but you can use me. You may walk across the room, I'm going to walk across the room. You need me to show up in somebody's room, I'm going to show up in somebody's room. You need me to have a conversation, I'm going to have a conversation. You need me to give money, I'm going to give money. Whatever those things are, I'm here. <laughs> I'm, not the, I'm not the best, but I am available, right? And that's what he's saying to each one of us. Are you just going to be available? Are you going to be in the game, right? Like, that's the biggest question. Are you going to be in the game? The other part of this is, is so evaluate your life through the lens of Scripture. The other thing is, you're going to have to practice your purpose, you need to practice your purpose. If your purpose on this earth is to rescue other people, are you doing it? Because I'm just telling you, if you're not practicing your purpose and you're not out there doing it, you will turn inward. It just happens. It's, it's human nature. Are you out there practicing your purpose? Are you out there opening your eyes and your ears and your life to the people that are drowning? Are you positioning yourselves a way that you're not going to turn your back anymore? Are you at a place where you're going to listen to the nudge? Are you going to, you're going to have action in your life? You're going to have to practice this. And as you do, God's going to reveal some things through you. And he's going to use you to transform the lives of people like no other way. Right? So if you stay in, I'm going to tell you what we're going to give you to help you with that process. So we're going to have uh, Jennifer and Taylor going to come to the front. We got inside of here. So there'll be three things that you could pick up today. One is, I want, there's no apologies to this. Christmas Eve Eve, we're preaching the gospel and we're trusting that people are going to come that need rescued and they're going to be rescued that night. That night, they're going to meet Jesus for the first time. And we know that the way that they're going to get here is because of plan A, you. We're trusting it. And we're believing in it. And we're going to help you if you need it. Like, that's what these are for. Like, I want to give it to somebody. I want to invite you. I want you to know we care for you. And we want you to be here because we're trusting that God's going to make that difference. The other thing is to practice your purpose. This card talks about ways that you can do that. Because you, you remember your rescue. Like, you remember who those people are in your life. You remember the ones that have been on the journey with you. And we give you ideas. Send them a text. Send them a letter. Do things so that you can be continually reminded, I was rescued and thank you. I was rescued, thank you. And you can go out and do that. The, other, the third thing that's in there is money from last week. 
If you didn't get your money from last week, get it. We want you to add to it, pray, give it away, be Jesus in the lives of people. If you already gave yours away and you need more, get it because we have it here and we're going to give it away. So we'd love to be able to give it away to you. So let me pray for you and then we'll uh, go forward during this next song. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, I pray that uh, today we will be reminded that we are a people that were rescued and there are people who need rescued. And we have the answer, the best gift that's ever been given. It's you, Jesus. So may we be a people who give that gift to those who need it. May we be a people who our minds and our hearts are open to the rescue that you want us to be a part of. And Heavenly Father, most of all, will you use us We'll use us in ways to transform the lives of people. We will make ourselves available. God, reveal your, your plan, and we will trust that our obedience and your working in front of us will transform not only these people, but transform the people around us. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as they're uh, playing during this last song, you can come forward. And again, coming forward is just an act or a proclamation to say, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to care so that you can do that. Same with getting the gifts. If you're online, uh, you can go onto the website after the service and you can click on a link. And on that link, it'll have the same material that you're getting here. So during this time, come forward and get uh, what we have prepared for you.
So just pray that this week as we go out, that you can have some confidence that God's working in front of you right now. Like you can have some confidence that God's already working in the lives of some people that are waiting on you. So we as a church body, as, as Christian believers, will we do our part, right? And will we come alongside with what God's doing? And can we watch together the mystery and majesty of what God does when we do our part? And can we celebrate that together? So thanks, everybody, for being here at the main campus. Thanks for joining us online. And don't forget, uh, we'll see you not next week, but Christmas Eve Eve. So excited to see you for that.